through the eyes of faith. My prayer never ceased, but now it became more of a lifeline than a love affair. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. Welcome, friends. This episode features a talk by Leah McGinnis on the topic of contemplative prayer. Unlike mindfulness or other meditation practices that link to separate traditions, contemplative prayer in the Christian understanding is about creating a sacred pause, a time for one's soul to come into contact with God and in that embrace to emerge from the time of prayer in deeper intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Leah reminds us that this form of quiet, reflective, and meditative prayer is something that Jesus himself modeled and saints have emulated down through the centuries. What I love about this talk is Leah borrows from some of these saints as well as scholars to invite us to go deeper in our own prayer life and to experience the fruit of contemplative prayer for ourselves. As you listen to Leah, you get a glimpse of her, yes, her consenting to a process to be shaped and formed by the holy encounter between her soul and God. Leah's talk was recorded during a monthly prayer meeting held at a parish in Southern California. We hope this blesses you as much as it did us. As I was preparing for this talk, and um, as Simon said, um, he invited me a few months back, so I had time to kind of mull over what it was I was going to talk about, and so this um, topic of prayer um, came to mind. And... um, Then, as I got closer to the first of the year, I thought, wow, this is a great time of year to talk about prayer because we're in January, a time where we make, renew our commitments, we make resolutions, and sometimes prayer and that commitment to prayer is something that we kind of beef up on as we step into the new year if it's something that we're desirous to do more of. So that was pretty neat. And then I had another reason I was excited about sharing it with you today, but... This morning, I um, read today's gospel, and it made me even more excited. So I'm going to read the gospel and um, just have the words of Jesus segue right into um, the rest of my talk. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. It reads, It happened that there was a man full of leprosy in one of the towns where Jesus was. And when he saw Jesus, he fell prostrate. He pleaded with him and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will do it. Be made clean. And the leprosy left him immediately. Then he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing. What Moses prescribed, that will be proof for them. The report about him spread all the more, and great crowds assembled to listen to him and to be cured by their ailments. But 
he would withdraw to deserted places to pray. Isn't that a great gospel for this morning's talk? I thought so. Um, so before I dive into the topic of contemplative prayer and as it, how it relates to our time and our culture in the church as well, um, I'll tell a little bit about myself. So I'm originally from Sacramento. Um, I've lived in Southern California about 30 years. Um, the first half was in Orange County where I met my husband, Dan. Um, and then we've lived here in North San Diego County um, since about 2007. My career has been in business, mostly supporting senior executives in both the corporate and um, higher education sectors. But I finished my career about um, six years ago now at UC San Diego, and he, I've spent that this time enjoying and caring for my parents. And most especially this past April, I had the privilege of taking care of my dad who passed away peacefully with all of us. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have had the free time to be able to be there. Um, I was single all my life until I met Dan. That was 13 years ago. Um, we have no children, um, but a few years ago in my retirement, I obviously had more time on my hands that I needed, and so I got a little dog. and. Uh, She's a lot of fun and has been a real new adventure. Um, and so she's kind of a new part of our family. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I went to Catholic school through 10th grade. Faith wasn't really something that I thought much about. Um, although looking back at my first communion photos, um, I sensed that perhaps I had a certain reverence for God. But if so, it was silenced while I rebelled in my late teens and I lived out the party life into my early 20s. Um, during all that time, I really wasn't aware of God nor interested in anything about the church. Um, I didn't have an aversion to it, just wasn't something in my life. In my mid-20s, while at work, I met evangelical Christians, and that was up in Sacramento. Um, whose proselytizing led to a born-again conversion in my life that significantly changed me. I encountered God in a personal way and began a relationship with Jesus, which was something I had never heard of growing up Catholic. I attended Protestant churches, Bible studies, and prayer groups, and was growing, but at the same time was searching for the right place for me. So about two years into that, well, back up for just a little bit. When that happened, I had dismissed the Catholic Church as really knowing what they were doing because I had never experienced my faith or Christ like I had in the Protestant realm. But then a couple of years into my Protestant journey, I returned to the Catholic faith, and when I did, I knew I was home. Now, at the start of that spiritual journey with the Protestants, I'd always had this draw to quiet prayer or contemplative prayer, and it's been with me ever since. So I would describe my first 10 years with the Lord as the longest honeymoon stage ever. I lived next to the Catholic Church in Newport Beach, so I'd moved from Sacramento down to Newport, 
Um, and I attended Mass daily, and I loved my time of quiet prayer in the church, often very early in the morning before 6 o'clock. There'd be a few of us in there. Um, I was super active in ministry and in parish and diocesan leadership. And it was a time also when I had very seriously considered religious life. So early on, as I, after coming back to the church, I became acquainted with contemplative saints and mystics like Teresa of Avila and Elizabeth of the Trinity. I read Father Thomas Dubay's book, The Fire Within, and others on contemplative contemplation and mystical prayer. These truly fed my soul. At about 40 years old, um, I had a stressful event and it kind of plunged me into survival mode for a good long time. Um, it became a time of deeper self-knowledge through the eyes of faith. Um, my prayer never ceased, but now it became more of a lifeline than a love affair. My vocal prayer was dry. It lacked meaning and relevance. Then, after a few years in my mid-40s, the consolations returned, and it came with new experiences and successes. I went on to finish my degree, graduating with honors in communication in um, Spanish, and it was at that time when I met and married Dan. Um, my prayer never ceased, but my attention to it became more distracted, um, and I became more preoccupied with the activities of everyday life, and I spent little time with the great mystics that I had been so drawn to in the years prior. So I entered my 50s riding high. Then I was hit with probably one of what will be one of the biggest trials of my life. Not only was prayer now about survival, but it included battling day and night the wild beasts, as Teresa of Avila describes, both within and outside of myself. This has been a period when everything I learned and experienced about prayer went out the window. Nothing worked. It's been a time when the great I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has been breaking through my very headstrong ego. Now, shortly after all this happened, I met a spiritual director who described to me the journey of the deconstruction of our own ego, or the ego drama, as Bishop Barron often says, which ultimately leads us to a deeply real and authentic counter with God in the person of Jesus and an experience of divine love that results in a profound yes to follow him. This experience has been described to me as living the Paschal mystery, which we all have to go through to be followers of Jesus. Dark, dry, difficult, yes, but there are fruits, and I think the most important one has been humility. It's been a time of discovering who or what I am not and who God is. As time has passed, not only has my silent prayer deepened, but my vocal prayer, the Liturgy of the Hours, and the Rosary, others, have had a renewed relevance. I think all these years of my temporal and spiritual highs and lows, combined with the grace and bravery to endure them, might be just what has prepared me to discern the ministry of spiritual direction, which was an invitation that was offered to me a few years ago. 
Currently, my formation is through Creighton University, which will be completed this summer. And it's here where Simon and I had a God incidence. He and I, over the last several years, kind of bump into each other at different times. So it makes me wonder, hmm, I wonder why. Anyway, in July, he was there, and I also happened to be there attending classes, but neither of us knew it. So finally, it leads me to the topic I really want to talk about, which is prayer, in particular contemplative prayer, and its relation to the current crisis in our church and in our culture. But to do this, I want to start with a refresher on prayer taken directly from the Catechism, which describes three expressions of prayer. The first is vocal prayer, an essential element of Christian life. The Our Father, taught to us by Jesus, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be are examples. The Catechism says, if internalized to the extent that we become aware of him to whom we speak, vocal prayer then becomes an initial form of contemplative prayer. The second expression is meditation. Through the use of readings of various kinds, most commonly scripture, and in particular the Gospels, we seek to deepen our faith and experience of God and in turn more deeply the reality of our own life. St. Ignatius of Loyola instructs us to immerse ourselves into the readings to engage our thought, our imagination, our emotion, and our desire in order to deepen our conviction of faith, prompt the conversion of our heart, and strengthen our will to follow Christ. Lexio Divina and meditating on the mysteries of the rosary are also examples of meditative prayer. The catechism, the catechism explicitly says this form of prayerful reflection is of great value. But Christian prayer should go further to the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus, to union with him, which now leads us to the third expression, contemplative prayer. Simply put, Teresa of Avila said, contemplative prayer is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with the one who knows, who we know, loves us. This knowing is not an intellectual knowing, rather it's an experiential knowing or a transcendent knowledge, the result of an authentic encounter with God. It's the kind of knowing like knowing that we love our child or knowing that a sunset is beautiful. It's not empirical knowledge, but it's true. This transcendent knowledge is equally as relevant as the other, but sadly, it's underappreciated and even becoming lost in our time. Meditation may lead to contemplation, but in contemplation, the focus is different. It's not on the words or the stories being read. It's solely on the Trinity, Jesus, who leads us to the Father through the Spirit. It's a complete turning of our attention and all our faculties to the, the one who loves us. Words in this kind of prayer are not speeches. 
They are like kindling that feeds the fire of love. This act of contemplation is a gaze of faith fixed on Jesus. I look at him and he looks at me, as said by St. John Vianney when before the tabernacle. Teresa of Avila said, I'm not asking you so much to gaze upon Christ during your prayer of contemplation as to become aware of the fact that he does not for a moment cease to gaze upon us. One does not undertake contemplative prayer only when one has the time. One makes time for the Lord with the firm determination not to give up, no matter what trials and dryness one may encounter. We cannot always meditate, but we can always enter into inner prayer, regardless of the conditions of our health or our work or emotional state, because the heart is the place of this quest and encounter. So why contemplative prayer? Because that's where we connect with our Lord, in the deepest part of our being, in that place where our deepest hungers dwell. Father Thomas Dubay, in his book, Seeking Spiritual Direction, says, each of us is an incarnate puzzle, and each of us has an insatiable thirst for the infinite. Never be content with the limited nibbles and tastes offered by created realities. Father Donald Haggerty, who's a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, a professor of moral theology and spiritual director for Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity, writes in his book, Contemplative Hunger, our souls have been created for the personal encounter with God in prayer while we live in this created life. We only have to respond to the hunger that is present within us to begin savoring this love for prayer, which we often seek, try to seek to satisfy in unfulfilling ways. Contemplative prayer coincides with the biblical one thing, the top priority of human life, which, as expressed in Psalm 27, is to gaze on the loveliness of the Lord. It is the unum necessarium that we often hear from Bishop Barron. He reminds us there are a cacophony of voices calling out to us. There are a thousand influences pulling us this way and that. But what's the one necessary thing? Like Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, as told in the Gospel of Luke, it is to listen to his voice as he tells you of his love and he tells you who you are. It is Jesus himself, as we heard in today's Gospel, who reveals by his own words and deed our need for immersion in the Father. And scripture, again, as we saw this morning, repeatedly tells us he went off to a lonely place to pray, someplace he could be alone, into the hills to pray, spending the night on the hill, etc. So what was his prayer like? What happened to him in those times of prayer? Why did he do it? What was his encounter with the Father like? Something to reflect on. Often we hear about contemplative prayer and we think, well, that's not for me. 
That's for the select few or the monks or the nuns in a cloister. But as we saw in the catechism, contemplative prayers for all of us. So I'll just say a few words about the how-tos and what one experiences in it. As the catechism said, it's a gaze. It's turning our awareness and attention to God, our entire being. I tried to compare what that degree of attentiveness might be like, and I compared it to what it's like when you're sitting riveted watching a sports game or engrossed in the story of a good book. But I think the, most, the greatest example might be more like a moment when you held your first child for the first time or perhaps an incredible exchange of love that you've had with another person. Then as time goes on, like that parent and their child, they come to sense or recognize each other's presence or attention. And in this prayer, we too experience the same with God. Father Haggerty has a favorite story, and I'll call it the one minute, seven times a day. It's about a French doctor who became a Trappist monk. Later in life, he was disappointed by the Trappist life. He said that he'd ex expected a seriously contemplative monastery, but found that while his fellow monks lived a penitential life, they were not deeply prayerful. They spent their days responding to bells, vocal prayer, work, etc. But 20 years later, he was elected abbot, and he said to the monks, I'm telling you, under obedience, that when you are in the monastery fields working, each of you is to stop one minute, seven times a day, and offer your life completely to God with a serious act of love. You will do it on your own, and no bell will ring. After one year, he had a monastery full of very contemplative, very prayerful monks. This herein is the key to contemplative prayer, turning our entire being, our complete attention, offering our entire life completely to God with a serious act of love. So what do people experience? Father Dubay writes about ordinary perceptions of the divine. First, he says, God originates the awareness, not us. Second, there are a wide variety of varieties of ways in which God communicates himself and the type of experience is not by our own choice. In scriptures, there are descriptions such as a spiritual touch, a given desire and yearning for God, peace, comfort, an enkindling or outpouring of love for and from the Lord, and these can be gentle or strong. St. Augustine and John of the Cross describe an embrace or God encompassing them. They wrote about getting a glimpse of God's divine beauty, a burning with love, and a radiant joy. So if you're wondering if your prayer is working, look for its fruits. Another fruit is also a growing love for poverty or a sensitivity for the poor. I'll just to say a few words on contemplative prayer and action. Some would argue 
that contemplative prayer is navel-gazing, turning inward, ignoring the outside world. On the contrary, Vatican II states that action is directed and subordinated to contemplation. Father Louis Lalamont, a French Jesuit from the late 15th and 16th centuries, said, with contemplation, we shall do more for ourselves and for others in a month than we shall do without it in 10 years. On the integration of prayer and work, especially related to one's apostolate, Father Dubay points out that contemplative prayer and love informs and energizes all the church's activities, just as St. Paul declared that the love of Christ drove him on. Hans Urs von Balthasar expressed that contemplation is the first impulse in all healthy change, just as a watch will stop if the spring is broken, or for us, if the battery dies. So the whole action of the church would come to a standstill if the con contemplative love at the heart of it were to cease. This is why the great doers and revolutionaries, I might add, in the history of the church have been the mystics, Augustine, Gregory the Great, Catherine of Siena, Francis, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Ignatius, John Vianney, just to name a few. So how does contemplative prayer relate to the state of our church and our culture? First, let's take a look at the sign of the times, what I perceive as an evidence of a universal spiritual hunger. In the late 90s, Father Dubay wrote, there is a thirst for the divine like never before, but so many of us don't know it. Eucharistic adoration has been with us for a good while now, and now we can even get it live online. Father Keating's centering prayer, I think, is a response to this spiritual hunger as well. For years, the Ministry of Spiritual Direction has been booming, and it's hard to find a spiritual director who's even available. Simultaneously, the religious programs and ministries that we've had for quite a long time, 30 or more years, don't seem to have the same fervor or energy or draw that they had in those early days. And sometimes it's even hard to keep people engaged in them. We hear a lot now about the rise of the nuns, the people who identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. They have wonderfully discovered their own hunger for the divine and are seeking to satisfy this but they aren't finding it in the religious institutions that we've grown up in. People are seeking peace and quiet and centeredness and spirituality through yoga and mindfulness, which has exploded in popularity in the West. These qualities are also found in Christianity, particularly through contemplation, but people are not finding it in our church. Why is that? And what do we need to do about it? Where is the Lord leading us? Father Haggerty addresses in the first part of his book, The Contemplative Hunger. He addresses this in the first part of his book. So what follows are experts, excerpts from his book, 
and I just want to pass them on as food for thought. He writes, the evidence is strong today that a desire for silent prayer is being felt by more and more souls, a phenomenon most notable for taking place outside of cloisters and monasteries. He says, it is a spiritual sign of the times and asks, can a contemplative revolution take place in the church? He describes this revolution as a significant turn among many souls to the fundamental importance of silent prayer in hours before the gaze of God. In this, he mentions Eucharistic adoration. This leaning and attraction toward more intensive prayer within the church may reflect a reaction to the growing indifference to God and in the larger world. The quiet hunger for deeper prayer may in fact be the most vital deterrent to the increasing tide of secularization in the current world. In this case, the change is more subtle, quiet, yet contemplative lives in any era are a great flame burning beneath the endeavors of the church. There are paradigm shifts in the history of spirituality as there are in the history of science or law or technology. A yearning for more deeper prayer that is arising raises the question of whether or not another paradigm shift is occurring. The real difficulty today in accepting faith is a fierce blunting of hunger for God. The availability of technological distractions combined with a loss of a sense of sacred truths or that transcendent knowledge raises the question are we heading for a historically time of disaster? Yet, the failure to seek truth in the religious realm does not destroy the desire for truth in the soul, which is a natural hunger in our intelligence. In every age, there are souls who yearn for some experience of the invisible realm of the transcendent. It is important that they find their way to faith, into Christian prayer, the only path to a deep personal happiness in life. In this prayer, they will discover the presence of someone who is beyond the senses and never touched, and yet is unquestionably real. The simple truth is that the human soul can flourish spiritually only by cultivating a contemplative quality a commitment to some external quiet in a day is therefore essential. It is only silence that replenishes our inner spirit and keeps a deeper layer of the soul of our soul open to truth, open to a more generous attentiveness, better listening, and it permeates our sight, our perception of reality. Contemplation cannot prosper in detachment from the contemporary crisis in belief, nor is it meant to be isolated from others. The struggle in the spiritual realm between faith and the loss of religious belief is an increasingly pronounced reality in, contempl in contemporary life. Contemplative life cannot ignore this. Indeed, it must thrust itself into the heart of this tension. 
The serious commitment to the life of deep prayer may be the only response that can adequately oppose the dismissal of God from human lives. So, are we receiving a new call to action? Bishop Barron, in his letter to a suffering church, writes, This is precisely the time for new orders, new movements, new works of the Spirit. And he goes on further and says, I believe that our time calls for renewal movements that involve priests, religious, and laity. Something new must come forth something specifically fitted for our time. Above all, we need saints marked by holiness, intelligence, an understanding of the culture, and the willingness to try something fresh. Somewhere in the church right now is a new Benedict, a new Francis, a new Ignatius, a new Teresa of Calcutta, a new Dorothy Day. He says, this is your time, or our time. Matthew Kelly, in his new book, Rediscover the Saints, writes, This is an incredibly turbulent time in the church. The path forward is by creating one holy moment at a time. And how will we summon the grace and courage necessary to create these holy moments? With prayer. All worthwhile action begins with prayer. I'm certain of this when it comes to the future of the Catholic Church. If we do not teach people to pray, nothing will change. It is time for us to become spiritual people again. We learn to live deeply by praying deeply. Find that place within you where you can connect with God and start to spend time in that place every day. Make that time sacred and non-negotiable on your schedule. Father. David Torkington, a British theologian, author, and speaker who specializes in prayer, Christian spirituality, and mystical theology, has a mini course on prayer online right now. And in it, he writes about the God-given primacy of love. That was first received in the early church in the person of Jesus, and then in Pentecost. Back then, those who wished to receive it turned their hearts freely and daily to God even in this life, for what was destined to become their birthright in the next. The process of the soul's preparation to receive this divine love has been summed up in what's called mystical theology. Through the ages, mystical theology ebbed and flowed, but was stamped out in the 17th century through the heresy of quietism with the ex except for the few who have persevered through the centuries, even to this day. In addressing our crisis today in the culture with the culture in the church, Father says, there is only one remedy, and it is to return to the prayer of our forefathers. There alone, we can receive the only help and strength that will enable us to survive the greatest threats to our faith that we may ex ever experience in our lifetime. In describing the transformational effects of contem contemplative prayer on a soul, Father Dubé writes, when the elements of power, strength, and freedom are added to a person's new knowing, love, and delight of God, it develops into heroic virtues of transforming union. And this explains why martyrs can freely go to torture and death. 
The genuine experience of God is therefore new life, a new creation. And Father Dubé says, it is a revolution. So I will conclude with the following questions. Are the insatiable hungers within us the, and the dissatisfaction with the status quo, the demise of the church and our culture, God's call to deeper prayer, and hence in a deeper experience of his love, which in turn transforms us, our church and our world, is a contemplative revolution taking place? If so, what is our part in bringing this about? Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.